episode of Video Game Logic. Today's episode was recorded on September the 22nd, 2020. I'm your host, gaming psychologist, and with me, as always, being a chef. Uh, caffeine rage? Uh, on today's... I, 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 don't, I don't own a restaurant. On today's show, we will, of course, be discussing the games that we played. Microsoft buys Bethesda, the, of course, maker of Elder Scrolls and Fallout. Nintendo discontinues the 3DS. Nintendo also has multiple movie and TV style projects in the works. The Oculus Rift is discontinued in favor of the Oculus Quest 2. And if time allows, we will have a Steam Discovery queue. Timestamps will be in the show notes following their respective topics. Hello, Rage. Hello. What's shaking, Bacon? Uh, well, as if you don't know, right? That's true. <laughs> That's oh. true. It's not like we haven't been doing conversation for like... 30 or 40 minutes. It's not our longest pre-show uh, talk, but still a good one. Yeah, I'm bitching about uh, various things. Yes. I won't go into the whole thing again. It's in going to be in, in the next Franken episode or two. But uh, Windows 10, my computer like shit itself and Windows 10, something fucked up there and I had problems with hardware and software today. I'll see. There's your problem. Your shit's fucked up, yo. My yep, and yes, I did try turning it off and back on again. Oh, a damn, few times and that didn't work. So I was hope hoping to last two or three years on this current build of my PC, but I might just abandon all of it. I'm mad at it right now, so I might just abandon it and and build a new PC as soon as I, as soon as I can get an oh. RTX 3080. Oh, good luck on that one. Well, yeah, it's a few months away. I'll give it a years. good home. I'll, I'll wipe uh, all the porn off of it. Give it a good sanitization. <laughs> Dip it in Lysol. I don't know what I'm going to do with this computer when I'm done with it. Because by the time I'm done with it, I mean, I guess I could rotate it into my media PC lineup. Maybe by then something will be dead. But you don't need, you know, it, well, I it's not worth as much now, but you don't need like $1,800 worth of hardware for a media center PC. Yeah, but see, that's my computer. It's well past. It's uh, yeah. Oh God. Uh, please replace me. Today. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I've, I had a problem with my build uh, uh, about three years ago when I realized exactly what my bottleneck was. It was my motherboard. Right. Uh, and for those who don't know, they changed the spec on my motherboard, uh, saying that my processor I'm using for it is no longer supported uh, when originally it was. So it's essentially drawing too much power and causes a thermal, uh, uh, well, uh, thermal uh, downclocking to protect the voltage regulators on it because you know. And my options are either go water cooling on a computer that's seven or eight years old now or just down clock my cpu or just not play anything that's very processor intensive uh, pretty much if i go above like 80 on a percent on all cores i'm risking some sort of uh, uh lag and then if i go full out i'll start getting it where it'll drop down to practically nothing on my cpu clock for about 
10 seconds while everything cools off. And there's really nothing I could do. There's no aftermarket parts for that particular part, uh, particular cooling. Uh, crammed as many fans as I could uh, possibly can to get more airflow on it, and just nothing because it's just where that uh, where the voltage regulators are. Have you tried just going for more more thermal mass, like just getting a huge hunk of metal to put on top of it to handle that burst? Uh, there's nowhere to really mount a, a, a hunk of metal yeah because it's if memory serves correctly and i'd have to actually look at the schematics for my motherboard again it's like right there near the ram if memory serves correctly okay so you've got ram that's like it would be in the way of a big yeah big like stack cooler mm-hmm. so yeah so that leaves you with water cooling or some weird like heat piping thing and at that yeah. point you might as well just you're gonna spend two or three hundred dollars on a cooling solution you could get a new motherboard and a mm-hmm. a budget you know well a, a few years old processor because your computer all the hardware and that's from what 20 like the early 2010s uh the newest thing is the motherboard or sorry the video card which was originally going to be a the first piece of a n- new build and i just got it early and, you know, that fell through because, you know, had to move and had other things to deal with. So I uh, probably just need to you know, go for uh, just saving up a bit and getting uh, computer piecemeal again before too long. But, you know, computer prices started to go up because, you know, everybody started building computers. Yeah. Because they were uh, in isolation. Yeah. I did my few upgrades right at the beginning of of the covids and mm-hmm. i think i mean that was the best time to do them from a price standpoint yeah i just didn't want to uh, i had an option to do that whenever i got my stimulus but i decided it'd probably be best to fill out the kitchen a little bit more because you know I'm cooking not just for myself anymore so yeah uh be a little bit more generous on that yeah and, I, and it's kind of a secondary thing for uh, is stress relief for me so I use that to get a pressure cooker, a stand mixer, an immersion blender, you know, all sorts of little gadgets I've been using. Yeah. I don't know when I'm actually going to do my next computer upgrade. Either when it dies or in a couple of years, probably. I mean, you know, I'm mad at it right now, so I want to chuck it out the window and buy a new one. But that's very impractical, so. Yeah, I've toyed around with the idea of just, instead of going full tower, get like a shuttle case. Uh, so I could do a more streamlined airflow because that's another thing that I'm not too impressed with the, this case is that the airflow on it, it it's basically a dust magnet, uh, even uh, having a positive pressure in it so that in theory it blows out all the uh, dust or a majority of the dust. It's just, there's so many, I'm like, <clears throat> sorry, there's so many like, cracks and you know nooks and crannies in it that stuff gets past the uh the filters on it so it just you know constantly uh, is at least mildly dusty mm-hmm. which does not help my thermal issues in one bit but eh. and, I, and also didn't help that i went amd over intel for this uh, for that generation because i was banking on more focus on uh, multi-threading which Intel in that generation was stronger on single thread while AMD was stronger on multi-thread. And, oh boy, I lost in that one, huh? 
Yeah, from a gaming perspective, it's it's turning, you know, the other way now. I don't know what I'll go for. I'm going to I really don't know cuz it'll depend on where I'm at and where things are at. If I was to build something from the current generation, I'd go AMD for my CPU. Um but, you know, in a couple of years, who knows where things will be at price-wise, performance-wise. And I'm not brand loyal in any sense. So Yeah, I'm a little hesitant uh, about Intel just because uh they've uh, there's been too much fuckery going on there. What do you mean? Uh trying to remember the specifics. There was a couple processors that were intentionally hamstrung, but I'm blanking on it because it's kind of late for me. Oh yeah, no. Um I think it was the seventh the six of the seven thousand series. And they I gotta admit coasted. And so. I gotta admit that Intel, their processor scheme just confuses the fuck out of me because I haven't kept up with it. Yeah, so I have the last of what, you know, when you go look at these Intel processor compilation videos, I have the last processor where they were pushing hard for a long time, the 4790K, which is like six generations behind now. But the 5000, the 6000, and I think the 7000 series, they just kind of coasted because AMD didn't really have anything to compete. Um, And so they made minor performance tweaks. and Also, they EA'd it. Yeah, they EA'd it. And then I think it was with the 8000 or the 9000 series when AMD really started to come back with the Ryzen CPU line that Intel was like, oh, fuck, we don't, yeah, well, I guess we got to try again. And I mean, you know, the, the 5000, 6000, 7000 series are still better than my CPU, but they quit pushing really hard. So my CPU is the last one in you know sort of a generational line where that they were pushing hard for performance gains so the 47 like my my cpu has held out held up really well over the years but yeah the thing is that if i was able to get everything on my cpu and actually overclock it like i intended because i actually have a fairly beefy aftermarket air cooler on it uh then i would be able to still compete even with an old fx chip but the problem is that you know it's that's not the the heat problem. Yeah, like it like it normally would be. That's the that's the irritating thing. I've got my CPU overclocked to uh, a steady four point seven gigahertz. Um, like it's a its original boost clock was I think four point two or four point three gigahertz, and then I I pushed it up steady when I got my new beefy cooler to uh, a a stead, um a stable four point seven gigahertz. And then I, I maintained thermals at around 60C, which is a little high for most people, but it never pushes beyond 70, even under mm-hmm. hardcore gaming. And I'm, I'm comfortable with that. I mean, these CPUs are designed to run up to 100C. You can certainly shorten the lifespan by overclocking and running them hot. But I mean, that's kind of their design threshold is 100 degrees Celsius before they start thermal throttling hardcore most of the time. So I feel pretty comfortable being in the range that I'm at. Like, it would be nice if it ran at, like, 30 or 40, but, you know, price yeah, to but, performance yeah, to it keep, Yeah, but it keeps you warm in the winter, right? That is very true. Keeps me warm in the winter uh, and makes it a sauna in the summer. No, I've got a really good airflow situation, too. I suck in air from the back, the bottom, and the front of the case and blow it out the top, which is the best I can do since my computer's sitting over here in a corner. And then I've got my fan that circulates air around the room. 
my my big fan in here. Yeah, I got a little handheld fan that's uh, misting me right now. Yeah, I'm gonna my next. I've got. I've never been a fan of RGB, and I'm still not. I've got a couple of RGB lights that were a part of like fans that are in my case now. But my next PC, I'm gonna go like I think for like a black, either a blackout or a whiteout look, and yeah, no RGB. Well, only RGB I have is my mouse, which is actually an MMO mouse. But yeah, that's uh, just because it's actually hard to find a mouse that has more than just you know the standard three buttons that isn't RGB these days. Yeah, but it does uh, allow me that uh, to set it up so that. If I'm running different profiles, I can uh, tell at a glance what it is. Uh, if it's in a different profile than usual, so there is that. Hmm. Yeah, I'm running a da, 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 just double checking a, a Logitech G600. And yeah. once they actually updated the software to something from the century, uh, whenever they went to the Logitech G Hub software a couple of years ago, it actually does a bit better. Uh, I, I have a, a love-hate relationship with it, though, because the old software... Uh, okay, the mouse has onboard memory, so that you can set one profile on it uh, uh, to be wherever... It, it, you know, whenever you plug it in, that's uh, what it's set up as. Well, the old software, it never wanted to interface properly with my mouse, so it would not write to that memory. So if the software crashed or did not load on start, or if I was loading to safe mode, I had to have a secondary mouse to use because of that. But everything else, it ran fine, and it was a lot easier to switch between different sub-profiles or uh, different profiles in general. This, you have to go into a different menu and... uh, to switch between sub profiles, you have to go there, or uh, you have to go into the games and applications and figure out which one you want to use. It's like I said, it's it works better for the mouse, but it's less efficient. Yeah, I've got the uh, G Logitech G six hundred five. It has got six buttons on the side. It's not an MMO mouse, though. Yeah, mine has. Uh, 12 on the side. Very fancy. I'm actually going to go look at your mouse uh, just to compare it. All right, so... uh, Okay, mine's in a different configuration. It looks like uh, a number pad. Mm -hmm. And also, uh, what is the... uh, The little blue lights, is that the uh, battery indicator? No, the blue lights on the side... um, the show you which built-in mouse profile you're using. I see. Mine doesn't have lights on it at all. Uh, for well, for that purpose, it, you could set it up through the profile uh, manager so that the RGB on the uh, side, and that's the only place that has RGB, by the way, uh, could uh, go to a different color. Yeah, they well, they only light uh, up when you change the profile, and then they turn off. Yeah. See uh, the the. 12 buttons on the side, they're uh, lit through RGB and could stay on, or you could actually turn them off if you really wish. Yeah. You turn it all the way off and have it just be completely dark. But I have a, I set it so it's uh, breathing. Uh, so it cycles uh, a nice uh, dark red color. But what's kind of neat is that they also have an audio, uh, audio visualizer 
so that depending on the uh, sound that's going on in the, uh, uh, through the computer, it could mm-hmm. go from uh, uh, one color to another or a pulse on, on the face, or it could actually sample based on the, uh, a portion of the screen, which is neat. But eh, I'll just leave it on the breathing. Like I said, nice dark red because, you know, RGB is still fairly limited on uh, certain colors. Uh, make it look like a little too pinkish. But uh, that's just me. Yeah. So this has been the uh, the discussion of the things that play the games. Why don't we talk about the games that we played this week? Okay, well, let's play, uh, talk about a game that has nothing to do with mouse, uh, mice's, mouses, or computers at all. How about that one? All so, right. Uh, this is something I've been playing for quite a while, and I've just it kind of slipped my mind to even talk about it because it's kind of uh, been you know, loaded up for a couple minutes, uh, goof around with it, turn it off because of what well, we'll get to that. Uh, it's Pokemon Pit Cross. So those who uh, have been listening to the show for a long time know that Pit Cross is one of my favorite like sub genres of puzzle games. And uh, for those who don't know what Pit Cross is, it's uh, there's a couple different names it goes by. Pit Cross is the one that I know the best. Uh, Actually, let me go double check. Uh, Nonogram is the uh, as the Nonogram, Pit Cross, Gritters, Pickup Picks are the other names across the world. Uh, but a picture logic puzzle, so. You'll have a grid, uh, sort of like Sudoku, uh, a Sudoku-esque grid where you have numbers along the side that says, okay, in this row or in this column, there's so many uh, squares that are filled in. So if it's a 10 by 10 and you see there's nine uh, squares that are filled in, well, you know that all but one are filled in. And it's as you fill it in, it creates a picture. Well, Pokemon Picross, it creates Pokemon pictures, but they throw a bit of a, a curveball in it, where they also allow you to use different Pokemon that uses different abilities, uh, some slightly more overpowered than others, uh, particularly depending on the perceived power of the Pokemon. So the legendary Pokemon, you know, the, the god-tier Pokemans, and yes, we went Pokemans. <laughs> The the coolest Pokemans uh, have the strongest abilities where they can reveal part of the puzzle or uh, slow the timer to allow you to complete missions a little bit easier. And also, depending on the power of the Pokemans, the more useful those powers can be. So, like using Mew to slow time, uh, base uh, or uh, stop time, may stop the timer for like two minutes while a Mr. Mom may stop the timer for 10 seconds, you know? Slightly more powerful, right? Mm -hmm. Or a legendary may reveal like a 5x5 chunk of the puzzle while a, you know, your mundane little Pokemon may just show you, you know, a 3x3 chunk of it or something like that. And the way the game does it, uh, it makes it so that the Pokemon abilities are a lot more required. So that usually pick cross games, they have like an entry point into them for any particular puzzle. No matter how big the puzzle is, you know, it could be a 20 by 20 puzzle. There's usually like one or two lines that 
allows you to figure out like the first chunk of it. And going from there, you're able to logically start to deduce portions of it. For example, like I said, a, a line that says, okay, let's just go uh, yeah, a, a 10 by 10 uh, puzzle. A, a line that's on the bottom that says there's more than like five squares. Well, you could deduce that in the middle will be filled in. So you could use that as a leap off point to start figuring out, okay, well, this uh, row uh, says that there's squares here on the very bottom. And this column says that the bottom has this many squares filled in. So that bottom number can be used to fill in up to start slowly working out or pushing the puzzle as a jump off point. Well, Pokemon Pit Cross kind of flaunts that in order to use the different Pokemon abilities, particularly showing you like one or two columns or a couple lines or a chunk of the puzzle to allow you to use the to as the leap off point. But on the flip side, those those abilities also incur cooldown timers and the Pokemon themselves also have cooldown timers. So a more legendary Pokemon may have a cooldown timer of 30 hours. So if you're trying to unlock a tougher puzzle, you take a Pokemon in that's a legendary to try to figure out a chunk of the puzzle. Well, you're not going to be using that Pokemon for a day and a half, pretty much. Because you know, you're incurring a 30-hour cooldown just bringing it into the puzzle to attempt to solve it. And then there's other abilities that are random, which are of, of limited use depending on how uh, RNG treats you. And the fact that you know you could get screwed over and not be able to solve it because uh, the that fucking Eevee's uh, ability it ended up not using all its uh, uh, ability because it randomly picked a corner of the puzzle. So instead of showing you like three lines, you got two or maybe one. But that's not the most infuriating part about it. And the reason why I'm still playing is that yeah. You know, yeah, I'll load it up, play it a little bit, and then turn it off. Is th- that uh, it, by Nintendo calling it a free to start. And boy, do they mean free to start. You quickly start to hit a paywall where uh, going through the first couple areas, you get a fair amount of pick rights, which is the premium currency in the game. There's really no other currency uh, to... Get a couple of sl- uh, Pokemon slots and unlock a few areas. And every time you unlock a new area, it's slightly more pick, right? So it might be, uh, I think it was 20, then 30, then it's 40. But each individual puzzle doesn't give you a lot. It's, I'm going to say, five pick rights per puzzle. And each area is something like four or, or five to eight puzzles. And the fact that it has an energy bar. And like I said, the uh, Pokemon abilities are also on timers. So there's a lot of hurry up and wait, but also uh, using the uh, pick rights to get your energy up so that you could solve more than one puzzle at a time, which the uh, the energy is also kind of interesting. So that the energy is actually used by filling in a puzzle or each individual square. 
So a puzzle that has more squares on it requires more energy. Also, if you mistakenly fill in a, a portion of the puzzle, you're still burning energy, which is a little infuriating. Uh, but like I said, the main reason why I play it is just that it's something to kind of get my mind going. There's a daily challenge that is uh, four very quick, uh, pu- or three to four very quick puzzles that are not necessarily a picture. So it's kind of, you know, uh, sit there, wake up a little bit to play a, a, that. And each time you do it, it's depending on the number of uh, challenges you've completed under the time limit uh, between, uh, or it's up to 13 pick rights a day. But remember, uh, I'm at the point where it's already 100 pick rights to get to the next area, and I'm only like a third of the way through the areas, right? Yeah. So you can see where, you know, I doubt I'm going to finish this, but it's just, uh, yeah, something to play. Uh, yeah. Uh, but the more interesting thing was that it actually got Anita to uh, look at this because she's a, a Pokemon fanatic and was interested in a different type of puzzle game. And she's seen me play Pit Cross before, but never really thought much about it. So she's actually started playing Picross, not just this, but also other Picross games by herself, which I find highly amusing. <laughs> nice sharing the the gaming love. Mm-hmm. Um, cool. Yeah, I would say that uh, I would if you're looking for a Picross game on the 3DS, uh, which that's where I'm playing this. I'm not actually sure if you can play it other places. Uh, let me actually just ch- double check that. Um, uh, da, da, da. I would say it uh, looks like, it, yeah, it's only 3DS, at least for this one. And it's up to the Omega Ruby and Sapphire uh, generation. So, uh, so none of the most latest Pokemon. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you're looking for a Picross game, I would probably say that you could just sit there and play for, you know, more than just like five minutes. Uh, you might want to look somewhere else because, like I said, this one is incredibly limited unless you want to dump money into it. And at that point, yeah, there's better places to go. But that's just my personal opinion on that one. Mm-hmm. That's that's one thing that I've noticed is that there's a lot of there's a lot of pick cross games out there. But the problem is that there's always some sort of catch with them. Like there's uh, one I was looking at on the, you know, the DS was a uh, uh, a 3D po- uh, Picross game, but they started throwing in, okay, well, now there's different chunks of, uh, of uh, uh, color, uh, colored ones. And it's just not as interesting to me whenever they try to throw too much of an oddball thing into it. And there's plenty of Picross games for 3DS. I mean, how you get Mario's Picross for four bucks. <coughs> uh, sorry, which is the old uh, uh, Game Boy game. Which was actually the first time I've ever seen Pit Cross. So it's uh, the uh, Virtual Console. There, I would say check that one out. Nintendo Switch has multiple ones. The one I was looking at was Pit Cross 3D, but uh, it does some weird things with colors that I'm not sure if I like uh, playing the demo. Right. Fair enough. But yeah, pretty much if you're going into. Pokemon Pit Cross expecting anything more than just a small distraction, I'd say look elsewhere. But that's just my personal opinion. So, yeah. 
But hey, it's free to start. There you go. Free to start. Yeah, which which that's an interesting turn of phrase, huh? Right? Yeah. So I played a game that I got for free. Um, It was a giveaway on the Epic Store. I'm using the Steam link for the store page, um, but I got this for free on Epic a couple of weeks ago, I believe. It was just a rotation of, of free games. Um, it's Railway Empire. Um, so Railway Empire feels like the spiritual successor to Sid Meier's Railroads. Um, where yeah, I think this was on uh, Discovery Q at some point. Yeah. Um, I don't know if, if you or anyone listening has ever played Sid Meier's Railroads, but you know, it, I believe Sid Meier's had like Railway Tycoon or something like that. And there were two or three of them. And then the last one that released in that sort of series was Sid Meier's Railroads, which is a, was a lot more cartoonish, um, a lot less um, realistic. Like there were some options to use like realistic like tracks and signals and things, but they were honestly pretty garbage. The art style was a little more cartoony. And um, instead of it being as, as much about like a transport and tycoon game, it became sort of a little bit of a strategy game. One of those games where you play against the computer or against other pl- players trying to essentially complete some goals and build the biggest railroad. And uh, this is that, but with better graphics, a better UI, um, and then some other additional things. Like, you know, it, it. I didn't think to look this up, actually, but you could, like, if you were like, oh, yeah, this is made by the same team, like, just at a different studio, I would 100% buy that, you know? Um it feels nearly identical. There are some things that are better, um, but still, you know, not great from a sim perspective. Uh, but, um, you know, it starts in the uh, 1830s, uh, year-wise, sort of the, the dawn of, of steam, the, the steam railway um, when it got beyond the testing and novelty phase and started to be something connecting cities. And it goes up, up, until the mid 20th century with like diesel engines and some electric engines and stuff. Um, and there's a campaign and scenarios you can play. There's also a free game mode where you can play either solo or versus the computer. Um, and if you play solo, there's a lot more goals for you to try to achieve to get sort of a better campaign score at the end, uh, of the game. Um, and it's it's fairly simple. Um, you there's different maps representing different parts of the United States. I don't know if there are expansions that add other countries or just you know more detailed maps and areas. But you know it's got some basic like the South, the Midwest, the West, the East, and in America. Um, and you you know you build your stations between cities and different industries and. Uh, sort of the base production goods that are at farms and mines and whatnot. And you try to build the cities as large as you can and complete the little goals like, uh, you know, deliver X number of tons of, of corn by the year 1850 and, you know, connect 10 cities to your rail network by 1870 or something like that, you know, stuff like that. Um, you you don't get to do much in terms of customizing your your rail lines or anything. You build some tracks and some stations, and then you create a route that goes between the different cities or or whatever. And you buy a uh, an engine, um, 
or a locomotive. And then it just sort of does the rest and runs the routes and loads and unloads different cars and freight between the different areas. Um, the graphics look really good. It's nice to follow the trains. There's a lot of cameras for like following in different ways, you know, like there's a cinematic camera and just sort of a chase cam and stuff like that. Uh, it has got, um, it's not like simulated. It's just for decoration, but there are, uh, carriages that go around in the towns. And if you're playing with computer, uh, or against the AI, um, you can see them build on the map as well. And they can do things like pay to use your rail line and you get like a fee for them to use your rails. And so that's pretty neat. Um, there's re- a research and tech tree where you unlock, you know, upgrades and new, uh, locomotives and different bonuses and stuff. Um, one of the things that it adds that Sid Meier's railroads didn't have was that you get both train, uh, like personnel or staff. And then you get like an office staff that give you boosts for different things. Um, you know, for example, if you get uh, like a, a station master and you hire them to your sort of office, they make loading and unloading at cities faster. And as they level up, it gets even faster. Um, you can get like trained security guards, which make cargo rail lines more profitable. Um, you can get, uh, I think they're called ticket men or ticket masters. They make passenger lines more profitable and, you know, so on and so forth. So there's a little bit of customization there as you recruit these different employees. But for the most part, you just set it and forget it for your trains. And then every once in a while, go through and upgrade them. Um, Cities will grow if you meet their demands um, and get pretty big. Uh, So far, I've only made it to like the 1870s. So like no massive like 20th century cities. But still, like you know, I have cities with populations in the multiple hundreds of thousands, and uh, you can watch you know buildings grow around as cities grow. More industries can be developed in them. You can own those industries, and then obviously you make more money versus if they're owned by other people and you're just transporting the goods around. Um, the uh, simulation side of it is still pretty pretty broken. Um, it might be functional, but for someone like me who's played. I don't know, several hundred hours of like train sims and transport like simulators and stuff like that. It's woefully underdeveloped um, running it in um, sort of sim mode where that you have to have a rail line with signals and things that make sense and trains can't pass through each other and they can wreck into one another and stuff like that um, is has been pretty near impossible for me to do because it lacks some basic features like being able to set specific waypoints so that trains will avoid tracks or um, being able to allow them to dynamically use different uh, station platforms um, and to create actual switching networks and lines so you can get trains effectively from one uh, track to another one without... um, like there's just no way to really go in there and into the nitty gritty and set some of this stuff stuff up. So you can't, at least I haven't figured out a way to have actual complex rail lines. You essentially have to have every city has to have its own rail connection to every other city or every other industry or nearly, you know, there can be a little bit of overlap, but, and, you know, like I said, maybe there's a way to do it, but the tools are not there to make it easy or even explained very well. So 
the only tool that it has that I really like that I wish that other games had um, in sort of the transport or the train sim genre is that there is an option to evenly place uh, signals to create the uh, the different sort of blocks for your tra- um, your rail line. So that- I think Machine Key has that actually. Okay. Well, that uh, would be- even though I rarely use that because it tends to confuse the traffic at comps. Yeah, that would be a really awesome feature in Transport Fever, especially in the early game because you tend to run a lot of really small trains um, versus a fewer amounts of larger, faster ones. And so having multiple uh, blocks on your rail lines are really useful. But, I mean, I'm going to keep playing it. My kid, you know, obviously it's a train game. My kid still loves trains more than just about anything in the world. So he likes to sit down and watch me play it. And I've still enjoyed it. I want to play through at least one scenario from start to finish um, and, and just see how well it, it it goes. And maybe spend some more time trying to figure out how to get the uh, uh, realistic rail you know traffic and stuff working but it's it's a fun game i'm glad i got it for free i would have been disappointed if i had paid very much for it like on steam at full price it's 30 bucks unless you just like if you like trains but you hate sims this is probably the best option on the market for you and it's probably worth it but if you do like the sim aspects there are much better games out there that do this. Um, and this is cute and it's got a good art style and it's got some stuff in it that I haven't seen in other train games in terms of like the variety of locomotive that is available, which is nice. Um, but don't, don't buy this to play something like transport fever, uh, play transport fever instead with a lot of mods. You know, if, if you want a more casual experience, this can certainly fill it. But I would say wait for it to be on sale. This is a really good, like, $10 game. You know, if you like this type of stuff, this is a really good, like, buy it for $10. Play it for a couple of days. um, Have some fun with it. And then probably, honestly, never play it again. (laughs) So, like I said, glad I paid $0 for it. Yeah. Uh, I need to... You're making me want to go play Machine Key again because... Uh, they updated recently so that uh, my biggest beef with how they were handling the passengers was pretty much if you carried a passenger from one uh, place to another, that was it. They didn't care anymore. Well, they recently changed that in the latest update so that passengers will generate with a destination in mind. So it kind of ties both rail and road together so that if you carry uh, someone down a rail lane uh, to essentially an interstate that you've built, uh, you can use that to generate more uh, income. Uh, And they're also talking about next up. Well, the latest update was a small one uh, celebrating the developer's uh, uh, first uh, son. Uh, uh, he introduced the Philip engine. <laughs> uh, but yeah, uh, talking about putting multiplayer into it as well, and it's actually uh, still undergoing quite a bit of development. It'd be interesting to see uh, you play this one, especially once it comes out of early access. Yeah, it's a little, it's a little tough to argue to a twenty-five dollar early access game, though. 
I mean, I'm definitely going to get and play Machinki at some point. I just don't know yeah, when. Point I'm is. just I'm just thankful for Amy for uh, uh, sending me this one because I, I played it on and off, but I have put quite a few uh, hours into it. Uh, Ten hours on record, which I know doesn't sound like a lot, but uh, it's definitely more than ten hours. I don't know why the timer's showing just ten, but yeah, it's an interesting one. So instead of uh, Real Empire Machinki, right? Even though yeah. it's early access, uh, they're they were planning at least the full version would be released this year, but uh, we'll see how that goes. Yeah, I think uh, they have one more or two more eras to complete, though, because they want to do seven eras of Braille, and I think they have five or maybe six, but I'm not sure. I would have to actually go in and check the guides for that one. But they're definitely making progress, and it's getting updated fairly uh, regularly. Sweet. All right. Well, those are the only two games that we're going to talk about this week. Um yeah we, got, to... yeah, we got a couple more uh, coming up, especially uh, since we have Game Club next week. Yeah. Um, let's move on to our first news topic of the evening, though. Microsoft buys Bethesda. Yeah, this one was all over the Discord. <laughs> yeah, all uh, over everywhere. Yeah, talking about Todd Howard's new uh, uh, <laughs> new office, which dumpster he gets. Right. <laughs> oh, okay, I... I'm usually very hesitant about uh, game companies getting bought up by mega corporations, but uh, but this I, I think I think this is actually a good move for them because uh, they've been on a downward slope since uh, since um, ever. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I mean, just sitting here thinking about it, it feels like and this may be nostalgia coming into play as well, but. It seems like their main series. Okay, I'm talking about not their published games, but the games that they publish or they develop in-house. They uh, every time they put out a new version of it, it's worse than the previous one. I mean, just look at Fallout as a good example, right? Fallout yeah. Three, which I realized starting with three is a little bit weird, and also the fact that they made it essentially a first-person shooter with some RPG mechanics. We're going to skip. Uh, New Vegas, because that was not uh, uh, in-house, even though it, uh, the fact that Obsidian and Bethesda are owned by the same parent company now, hmm, right? Yeah. There's also been hints that maybe they're working on it already. Uh, Fallout 4, downgrade on the RPG mechanics, uh, side grade on uh, shooter mechanics. I think that's fair to say, right? Which game? Fallout 4? Yeah, going Fallout from 3 to 4. Downgrade on the story mechanics, upgrade on the shooter mechanics. And then Fallout 76, downgrade everywhere. except <laughs> Downgrade on everything. Yeah, upgrade and microtransactions, but really that's a downgrade. Uh, Elder Scrolls series, uh, for going from Oblivion to Sky... Uh, to, for, sorry, from uh, Morrowind to Oblivion. Uh, they combined a lot of uh, skills. They brought... Uh, Patrick Stewart and Sean Bean in and then had about five other people to voice everything else. <coughs> and, but they did kill Sean Bean. So they do have that going for them, which is nice. Indeed. Uh, but the thing is that uh, they went from kind of this first person uh, CRPG where they would have 
where you talk to an NPC and you get you know a, a, a novelette of uh, text and get a lot more world building to uh, full on voice acting, which I realize it makes the game more accessible, but it's a bit more of a slog listening to someone sit there and narrate for five minutes instead of reading for five minutes. You could also I mean, Bethesda follows the the method of simplify and add weight. Like mm-hmm. that's a you know a, a car manufacturer thing for making like really rugged you know off road vehicles. Simplify, add weight, and that's what they do to all of their games. They simplify, and you know some people like that, and some people don't. And you know we have drawn our lines in the sand multiple times across different ones of their games and how we feel about them. But in essence, they simplify. So oh, they, you cut me off for Skyrim. Probably a good idea. Yep, good idea. Uh, they simplify by either removing or condensing features, and they add weight by making the world more shallow. larger, uh, wider, uh, well, I think is maybe better. They make it yeah, wider. They don't wider, make it but more shallow. Yeah. Uh, wide as the ocean, deep as a puddle. And that's that's their philosophy for all of their games. And in some ways it works, and in other ways it doesn't. And depending on who you talk to and where they jumped into the franchise, you will get different, you know, responses as to, you know, how they feel about it. But that's sort of their methodology. And yeah, it- and uh, well, this is probably telling you exactly how I feel about Martin Bethesda. Whenever I say I spent a couple hundred hours in Oblivion. Right, or sorry, a, a couple hundred hours in Oblivion, but also like five hundred in Morrowind. Yeah. So, but yeah, Microsoft bought them for seven and a half billion dollars, which actually seems a little low, doesn't it? Considering the name recognition as well. Yeah, I don't. I haven't seen anything that details everything about the purchase yet, and if it was you know, in one of the articles that you had, I missed it, but I don't know if there's anything that they don't get. Um, yeah, it sounds like it's lock, stock and barrel. Okay. Uh, from everything that I've heard. I wonder why, I mean, you know, $7.5 billion is a lot of reason to, to sell something, but I, I wonder why Bethesda or maybe what's the Bethesda like parent company, Zenimax. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I wonder why Zenimax is like choosing to do this. Like it has seemed to me, and maybe they've overreached. Maybe this is the problem. But it seemed to me in the last several years, you know, five or six years, they've been, you know, trying to grow and distinguish themselves as, you know, for for worse or for worse, the you know, an EA or a Ubisoft or something like that in the industry, an Activision, like it's felt like that's the path that they've been going down. I wonder if they've just overextended and it's come back to bite them in the ass. Uh, perhaps. I mean, it, this is just feels so weird, doesn't it? it, it and really kind of out of nowhere. Huh? Yeah, just, you know, randomly. I, I don't know if there are any leaks or rumors, but just like, I, you know, it's like wake up one morning. There was a couple of rumors like a day before. Yeah. But, uh, but bringing... Elder Scrolls, Fallout, Wolfenstein, Doom, Dishonored, Prey, and Quake. I mean, those are some really hard-hitting uh, uh, franchises, especially for older gamers. Yeah. And also talking about how all of these are coming to Game Pass. All of them. Which is exciting um, for most of them. 
Yeah, I mean, Fallout 76 is already there, and I've yet to play it. That should tell you how I feel about that. Yeah. Skyrim on Game Pass for the, like, three people in the world who don't own it. Um, no. Um, I'm I'm curious what Microsoft's in-game is here. Well, maybe what Bethesda needs is a parent company that actually reels them in and tells them, okay, sit down and finish your fucking game. Yeah. I mean, it's a shame that Microsoft didn't get the real developers for Bethesda. <laughs> you know, the, the, the fans, the, you know, they can't employ all the modders, right? I mean, they could. Microsoft has fuck you money. I mean, uh, Microsoft gave not fuck you money. That should tell you how much fuck you money they have. Yeah. I mean, you know, Microsoft's in-game is, is interesting. Like, on the one hand, it's like, well, the more of these... um big i guess cross-platform franchises that they can bring in as exclusives to their ecosystem um is like a good business move for them i mean i guess that makes sense but i mean that's a lot of money that like i know microsoft has got fuck you money to be sure but they're talking about buying tiktok which is going to be a lot more than seven and a half billion dollars well, well haven't they backed out of that because of the trump administration uh forcing things uh if they have i missed seeing that um i, I, knew- I think that tiktok is in the process of being uh, entered into a partnership i, I don't know I, it, politics right now is fucking weird to even try to keep up with because it's just what scandal is going on next and how is it uh, being ignored the last thing i heard about tiktok in this respect was that in order to continue operating in the united states without u.s government sanctions they needed to have a u.s like parent company holding like a like the brand the division or whatever that operates in the u.s and it was like microsoft and google were the two that were talking about buying it now what's really interesting is also there was a blog post by phil spencer saying that the company's franchises will be coming to game pass but also that all future releases such as elder Scrolls 6 and starfield will be on game pass from launch so, huh, how about that? I'm not going to be buying uh, a Starfield. Not, not that I planned on buying it anyway, but I'll get a chance to play it. You know, I think Microsoft is going to be the one who does this and solidifies it. I mean, I we have loved Game Pass since it first launched, PC Game Pass. Yeah. But I think this that might actually be the biggest thing in their end game because Microsoft has turned everything into a subscription. And they want to keep people in their subscription ecosystem. And the more value they can offer to that subscription, in this case, one of the largest, I'm doing air quotes here, obviously you can't see me, one of the largest RPG makers that exists in, in the West, um, You know, having them under your banner to put all of your games or to put all of their games on Game Pass is like a huge value add to the service. And with the, um, you know, the, X, the, the next Xbox, God help me trying to remember all of the letters and their console designations. But, you know, the next uh, the has- series X, X, L, M, O, U, S, C. But I, I, the- I'm starting to think that uh, Microsoft has some sort of Tourette's when it comes to uh, their console uh, names. Maybe. But, uh, you know, one of the things that they're like pushing with that is to buy. Um, like a financing thing for it that includes two years of game pass along with, you know, the package that you get. Mm -hmm. It's like, you know, you pay, especially if you get the digital version, because remember 
there's a separate version of the Series X that's going to be digital only, as well as the PlayStation that's going to have a digital only component. Yeah, but so, you know, it's I think it's like sixty dollars a month for two years, and you get you know the console and controllers and um, access to their like Game Pass Premium. I forget exactly what the price is. But it actually works out to be cheaper for you than buying the the console and all of that stuff separate. But -hmm. it's all rolled up into a monthly payment instead of just buying it up front. And I mean, they're really into getting people locked into that subscription model. Okay, well, uh, the uh, the gamesindustry.biz also highlights this isn't just Bethesda and Cinemax. Uh, They're also getting all the companies Bethesda had. So... uh, among Bethesda's internal development teams were Bethesda Game Studios, which were Elder Scrolls and Fallout, as well as Doom developer Id, Dishonored creator uh, uh, Arcane, Wolfenstein uh, dev uh, Machine Games, even within uh, Team Tango Gameworks, Cinemax Online Studios, Alpha Dog, and Roundhouse Studios. So they went from 15 to 23 game studios with this acquisition. Damn, right? Yeah. But they also said that they will honor the the exclusivity deal that they had with... uh, I'm I'm having to try to figure out which one it is because uh, for a couple of the upcoming Bethesda games that were going to be PlayStation exclusive for a short time, they're still honoring that, which I'm not sure if that's part of the... oh, Oh, sorry. Deathloop and Ghostwire Tokyo are going to be uh, exclusivity uh, uh, for a short time. Uh, or I'm not sure if it's actually going to be a permanent exclusive. It doesn't really highlight it here. I think Deathloop was going to be a PlayStation exclusive game. I remember seeing something about it at the most recent Sony uh, conference thingy. Uh, uh, Deathloop and Ghostwire Tokyo will be a timed exclusive. Okay. So they're still honoring those past deals, which uh, I'm not sure of what legal requirements they would have, but still coming out and saying that day one is bonus points for me, at least. I would bet that they're probably just doing that for good publicity. Like, oh, no, we're uh-huh. going to honor these agreements. Because, if you, again, if you're spending seven and a half billion dollars, you know, what's a few million in, in fines and penalties to break those contracts? Mm-hmm. You know, like I can't imagine that it would be hundreds of millions, you know, or more to do that. I feel like it would just be a few million or some type of other penalty. So I, I feel like this is just that's just for good PR so that every, everyone can be like, oh, yes. And Microsoft agreed to, you know, to honor those previously made agreements when they didn't have to. Aren't they so nice? It's like, I mean, they're still a multi trillion dollar international corporation. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, they I guess pretty much literally run the world. Yeah. Uh, through Windows updates, uh, break it occasionally. God damn it, Microsoft. <laughs> God damn it. Breaking my shit, fuckers. Well, it's between that and the Kool-Aid, right? Yeah. That one's on me. I'll own up to that but, one. What, wait, what flavor Kool-Aid are we talking here? Uh, Just plain, simple cherry. I'll allow it. Okay. Um, But yeah, I don't... I'm more excited or more uh, hopeful, 
I don't know what the right word is because I, I don't want to oversell my actual feelings. But you know, this cautiously optimistic. Maybe yeah, that's probably the right way to say it. I'm I'm pretty cautiously optimistic about this whole thing. Microsoft has been doing well in terms of managing their franchises and um, doing a good job of bringing variety to the PC ecosystem and being, I don't know, good leaders in that front, good shepherds, good, I don't know, whatever, you know, whatever. They've done a pretty good job compared to other companies in this space like fucking Epic and mm-hmm. even Steam or, or Valve, I guess, um, EA, you know, they're, and I know that Microsoft is operating on a whole different level to these companies, but on the, you know, on the other hand, like that gives them even more opportunities to do just as much fuckery. And they seem to actually be trying. I'm not saying that they're the good guys in all this, but they seem to be at least trying to not be. They're the least bad. How about that? Yeah, they're the, they're the lesser evil. And so if anybody's going to take over Bethesda and try and do something with it, I feel the least icky about Microsoft doing it. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah I mean, Bethesda, it, it feels like they've been left to their own devices a bit much. The, yeah. And they've and they've drank their own Kool-Aid a little much, thinking that, you know, they can just put out a game that's, you know, half-assed and follow some sort of trend that was popular five years before the game launched. And yeah. think uh, with uh, Fallout 76. And think that, uh, yeah, people will flock to it. I doubt they will, but I hope they fire Phil fucking Spencer. <laughs> I just, I don't like him. Over the years, I've grown to detest him more and more. It just works. Well, can we uh, get rid of Todd Howard? Yeah. Or at least put a muzzle on him? Oh, wait, did I say Phil Spencer? I meant Todd Howard. Uh, yeah, you said Phil Spencer. I was I'm that. sorry. I like Phil Spencer, at least as much as I can like any executive I don't trust. No, Todd Howard. <laughs> fuck that guy. I said Phil Spencer. I meant Todd Howard. Uh, I, I was trying to figure out what, what what did he do? Did I miss something? <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, I'm sure he did something, but no. Fuck Todd Howard. Fire that guy. Give him his golden parachute because I'm sure he'll get one. Kick him out. Start your own studio, Todd. Uh, we could bury him in the hole that uh, Peter Molyneux in these days. Yeah. How about that? Get in there with your friend. I actually don't know if they're friends. Uh, I think uh, both of them are so compulsive liars that uh, they uh, both say that they're friends. <laughs> Does it matter? Yeah. Let's do some slander. Todd Howard. That's that's my slander. Just saying his name. Sick burn. No. Um, uh, so yeah, yeah, I mean- yeah, what's interesting is the fact that they've already said that the future games are going to be on Game Pass, though. So I think we're going to see an uptick in Game Pass, especially... Once Starfield and Elder Scrolls Six, I had to say and think for a moment, uh, start coming closer to uh, to completion, and hopefully with Microsoft standing over them, they're not fucking broken messes. I mean, I've realized we are talking Bethesda games, but still, unless they have been in such a horrendous development hell that we don't even realize, I think that they're still going to be fucked, and it'll be the next games in these series that see the the full benefit of being under Microsoft's stewardship. Mm-hmm. Um because if unless, you know, 
Starfield and Elder Scrolls 6 have just been in development hell since they were fir- first shown off a few years ago, which is possible. Um, they're already so far into development. I don't know how much could be changed without pushing the games back even farther than they already would be at this point. I like uh, Microsoft needs the games to actually sell to uh, be successful at this point. Yeah. So if need be, if things are that bad, the uh, uh, Microsoft can push it back, but I'm not sure if they would. Yeah, exactly. So that's why I think that it'll be the next. But hey, at least we won't have to bomb. No, that's true. They'll be on Game Pass. So now Xbox has or Microsoft has been saying that they're going to have full mod support by the end of the year for Game Pass. I've seen that. They're slowly rolling that out. Yeah, so who knows if it it actually works. Fucking Game Pass. (laughs) Microsoft. Goddamn corrupting my save files and not launching games. I'm not mad. I'm not bitter. I am totally bitter. I'm very mad. I still love Game Pass. It's a very good service, but goddammit. Well, hopefully the commands I showed you could at least let you get into the save file. Yeah. Because that Uh, is my biggest beef with Game Pass is that it it uses that Microsoft architecture where they lock the files away as an anti-piracy thing. Uh, And the way to mod some games without uh, the proper mod support in place right now is essentially setting them up to be a pirated copy, removing all the copy protection, which is just kind of ridiculous. That's my biggest beef with it. Yeah, it's very strange. That and also some of the Game Pass games, they just don't play with other versions. You have to uh, go in with the Game Pass version, and that's it. It's its own little place. But, yeah, right? Yeah. All right. I think we've probably speculated enough about this. We'll, I'm sure, be back to it once, you know, if more details come out or, you know, we get interesting announcements and rumors as part of this merger once it's, or buyout once it's completely, you know, settled. But um, with that, I think we should probably move on. Uh, Talk a little bit about another one of the gaming giants, Nintendo. Uh, They disconnect, or disconnected. (laughs) Yes, they discontinued their 3DS or the 3DS. I mean, this has been kind of the writing's been on the wall for quite a while. The last major release for the 3DS, actually, I'm linking to the Wikipedia list of 3DS games. So you could go through this with me at some point. The last major one, not counting little indie titles or uh, third-party games, stuff like Pinball Breaker 5, or, you know, uh, Maya's Picnic, or Word Herd, would be like Persona Q2, which was um, 2018? <laughs> yeah, I'm looking through just... Well, I, well, I sorted it by North American release date. Uh, Luigi's Mansion, but that oh, sorry, was... Sorry, 2019 in, uh, in the US, sorry. Um... Yokai Watch from Level 5. Uh, also 2019. Kirby's Extra Epic Yarn, 2019. I mean, they haven't even done anything really this year with the platform. So it's not exactly surprising to see them discontinuing it. It's kind of just been their own life support. And they've only really had one model in production. And that's not even a 3DS. It's a 2DS. 
the the one I actually got, uh, it was a hundred bucks. Uh, the two DS two DS XL uh, is the only one that was even still in production. So you know, it's kind of you know that last model that you know they forgot to turn off the factory or something, right? Yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong, the three DS actually has quite the breadth of games on it. It has uh, one of the more interesting little mechanics and it's uh, stereoscopic 3D without any sort of glasses. Unfortunately, you also have to be in a very particular position for it to work. And if you're not, then it's like a headache machine. That's part of the reason why I got a 2DS is that I didn't really care for it. <laughs> uh, but it's just like the end of a era, really, because... I realized the Switch also fills this role of a handheld. It's that weird handheld uh, console uh, amalgam. Uh, but, yeah, this is a, a a console series that goes all the way back, essentially, to the Game Boy. While they've dropped the Game Boy title over the years, you know, the, that DNA is still there, you know, that legacy. So it just feels like an end of an era, really. Yeah. There's a, I haven't watched it yet. There's a YouTube video that popped up on my subscription feed. I think it was actually Linus Tech Tips that that did it. That was um, the uh, why handheld consoles are dying or disappearing, something like that. Mm-hmm. I um, mean, mobile is probably the biggest answer to that one, really. Yeah. Uh, that and a focus on uh, uh, the Switch where you could have a console quality uh, uh, portable gaming experience without really having to worry about killing your phone. Uh, uh, yeah, I'm seeing a, a couple different uh, videos of that. I, I saw something on. Uh, uh, I, I saw something on my subscription feed as well, but I don't subscribe to Linus, so I'm not sure who it is. Yeah. Uh, uh, but, I mean, but that would be my best guess. What you said, or um... I mean, think about it. If you have mobile game, or if you want to do portable gaming, and you don't want to shell out for a handheld, you already have most likely some sort of smartphone these days. That's kind of the default position. And even the low end of smartphones are powerful enough to play decent games now you may get your phone hotter than the surface of the sun and you know absolutely kill your battery but you know, for a short burst of gaming uh, sitting somewhere that's plenty or just you know play something a little bit simpler so that's one aspect and also like i said uh, the switch has kind of moved in on this territory as well and while the battery life isn't nearly as good as the uh, 3ds uh, was it's still there and you're able to really take your games on the road and not have to worry about managing separate gaming libraries. Yeah. So I definitely see why Nintendo has done this and they have said that the eShop will continue to operate and the online uh, uh, will continue to operate. I mean, hell they still uh, manage the Wii U eShop. There's really no reason for them to shut it down, even though uh, admittedly they don't have very good sales on there. I check it uh, every week or two. 
and occasionally will pick up uh, something that's on sale that looks interesting. But it's just, you know, they don't have deep discounts, especially on the 3DS since it's, you know, the old hardware and now the obsolete hardware. So uh, according to at least the GameIndustry.biz article, it's the first time since 1989 that Nintendo has had only a single device platform. That's quite the legacy, huh? Yeah. I think, I, again, though, I think this is probably a smart move for Nintendo. Yeah, consolidate. Con- yeah, consolidate. I mean, the Switch is, in my opinion, for what it's for what it does, is perfect. Like, it's the perfect device. Gives you, like you just said, on-the-go performance, huge, uh, or, you know, maybe not huge, but a, a diverse library of games that you aren't restricted in any capacity when or how that you play them um you know no, it's good enough no, i strongly disagree with uh, some of the stuff that you do on the online multi on the online online uh, uh, online uh, services particularly cloud saving tying that to a subscription yeah no sorry i got tripped over myself there for a moment no you're okay uh, so uh, for a portable uh, system having uh, games uh, or game saves tied to one thing is really a kick in the teeth because with the 3ds well i actually don't know how they handled the downloadable games i'm not sure if that's saved to the console or if it's a or if there's a mirror to the cloud but all the cartridges are their individual saves so if i were to lose my uh, ds and i would lose my copy of what's in here right now of uh, professor Layton. I would lose that, but I would have still, you know, all my other games. If I had a Switch and, I, you know, my Switch got damaged, well, the the game cartridges are, you know, just the games. They don't have the save files on them as well. So, you know, it's kind of a kick in the teeth, you know? Yeah. I don't think that, I, I don't know if I have any backups or not, because I don't pay for the... You don't. Okay. Well... Fuck. It's fine. I'm probably going to wind up modding the console at some point anyway, so. Now it looks like there actually is some homebrew of... Oh, you can actually back up the save data uh, on the 3DS to the uh, SD card. Okay. So I have a 32 gig SD card in this, so I can save all my save data to the card that is... Or at least on my model, easily removable. On Adidas uh, 3DS, uh, mind you, I have a 2DS. Uh, the cartridge uh, slot also right next to it is the SD card. For hers, it's buried. I think it's under the battery for some reason. So yeah, I don't know why they did that, but eh. but yeah, there is an easy way to back up uh, all the saved data on the DS to a removable uh, piece of hardware. I should actually check to see if I can back up the data to my SD card because I've got a 128 gigabyte SD card for mine. Yeah, 32 is actually the usually. 32 is actually the maximum that the DS would handle without doing some fuckery. I think you can go up to two gigabytes for the Switch, or not gigabytes, terabytes. Sorry, it might be one terabyte. I don't know, but I figured 128 gigs was enough. But I should see if I can back up stuff. Maybe get a second SD card to use just as backups and back it up every once in a while. I wouldn't need one that big to do backups of game saves and stuff. Um, 
and it's really easy to access on the switch it, there's just like a one single little panel that you can pop off that covers it so yeah like i'm just i'm looking here and i could i'm just going to do a backup real quick i have 207,042 open blocks to to create uh, backups so yeah right nice um but yep. Yeah, that, that's just my uh, my biggest beef is really just how they handle uh, some of the online services. Yeah. Um, more Nintendo stuff, though. Uh, they've got multiple movie and TV-style projects in the works. Yeah, they are working on a new Mario movie. That's the big thing right now. I really don't know anything about what the Mario movie is going to be. Uh, there's, they're being very tight-lipped about it, aren't they? Yeah, and they were really hesitant to do it as well. I mean, I mean, the first Mario movie, it was the first video game movie ever, and it's infamously kind of bad. There's a cult following for it, but there's a cult following for really anything. Where they, let's just put it this way. There was a gaming historian video about it that I would actually suggest you go watch. Because there was just so much of, uh, of behind the scenes craziness, that there was no chance for this game or for for this ga- video game movie to be any good. Uh, they went through five different teams of writers, constantly re- uh, changing things, changing things, changing things to the point that they uh, uh, they were rewriting the script as they were shooting. All right. Yeah, and it, and it wasn't like minor tweaks or rewrites either, because that happens pretty frequently. You make small changes, mm-hmm. but these are like sweeping rewrites. They uh, brought on a uh, team, especially. Well, actually, it was the team uh, back then behind the uh, the music video uh, and the TV series of Max Headroom to give it a dark, dingy, uh, uh, dystopian feel but then balked on all the dystopian elements. So you got this weird, you know, kiddie-fied dystopia. Yeah. So, yeah. Nintendo has got a lot of, I mean, you know, there, there's like no information on any specifics of which of their projects, like this, you know, this means, which of their properties, whether it's more Mario stuff or it's something else. Mm-hmm. Nintendo has got some really good properties so that would make good TV shows or movies. Because Nintendo makes games, for the most part, that are simple concepts that are expanded on and generally fairly linear. Which, yeah, I mean, it's like one, better to movies than, you know, a lot of other game stuff. Well, one thing we're pretty much sure of is the Mario movie is going to be animated. Yeah. Just because of the studio. Because it's Illumination. Yeah. So, Despicable Me, The Lorax... Hop, uh, The Grinch, uh, the 2018 one, Secret Life of Pets, Minions, which they have another Minions movie coming out because, of course, they do. Yeah. So, yeah, definitely animated. Uh, honestly, there, there's like two um, franchises that really hop to mind. Pardon me using that. Uh, for uh, movies, or at, at very least, if not TV shows. Uh, Legend of Zelda is kind of the obvious one. I would say Metroid. Metroid, yeah. yeah. You and I, ha- our heads were in the exact same place. If you if you 
get rid of all the cringy dialogue from the last Metroid game, right? Yeah. Because uh, the last one was Other M, right? I mean, the main, like, uh, Metroid Prime, like, trilogy or whatever, the, or quadrigy or whatever. Yeah. Uh, everything I've always seen about Other M, it's like, it took everything that was badass about Samus. It's like, in let's forget about it. It made her subservient to uh, a commander that uh, was obviously stupid. Uh, the opening cutscene is just, ugh. Yeah, but I mean, yeah, the Zelda and Metroid both great game franchises that would make good movies or TV series. I would think another one could be Kirby, probably for a TV series. Yeah, well, there is a Kirby TV series. Well, I mean, a new one. Okay, because we're uh, talking future properties, you know. That's yeah, true. Um, F Zero. Does Nintendo own F Zero? Uh, I actually don't know. Uh, duh, duh, duh. uh, yeah, or uh, at least the designers or major uh, Nintendo movers. If if Nintendo owns the rights to F Zero, that would be a good series. Action Racing. Uh, yeah. Donkey Kong has has become a separate enough entity that that would work. There was some Donkey Kong animated <laughs> stuff in the nineties, I think. Yeah, yeah, I remember that vaguely. Um, I don't remember it being very good, but I remember it. Yeah. I'm just going back to the 3DS uh, games. Phoenix Wright. Phoenix Wright would be great. Crime drama. Uh, there, 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 is, there is an anime series about Phoenix Wright. Yeah. That's okay. But a Phoenix Wright movie. Um, now, the problem is that we have to... A lot of the uh, games that you think Nintendo... They're not really Nintendo. They're, you know, uh, some companies that are licensed through it. So you also have to realize that, you know, this is Nintendo properties. And that's something very, very different. So I'm just going through. Oh, Animal Crossing. There you go, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a uh, a nice, I don't know, drama type uh, series? No, no. I see that as like a slice of life uh, series. Yeah. Um. Uh, Fire Emblem. Fire Emblem feels really complicated. I could see it working as a as a TV series, <laughs> not a movie, but you know, I could be wrong. Somebody could figure out how to do it. Well, simple. You just have somebody die and you reload the uh, movie over over and over. <laughs> uh, Pikmin. Uh, that could be an interesting, uh, like cutesy sci-fi movie. I don't think it really go down to a full on uh, series, but that's just my opinion. Kirby, we already said. Legend of Zelda. Um, ba, ba, ba. Looking up there. Oh, Star Fox. Oh, Star Fox. That's kind of the one that uh, I think everybody forgets about just because they haven't really done a lot with that franchise, have they? Yeah, they haven't done anything with Star Fox in forever that I know of. I mean, there was... Well, I guess there was the game on Switch a couple of years ago that was a big flop. Well, they also... the. Uh, had the the unreleased game that they have finally put out because Star Fox 2 was originally going to be on the SNES, but it was so late in the life cycle, they killed off the game as it was uh, uh, being produ- or, uh, finishing up because the Nintendo 64 was coming out. Okay, here's one. I, I realize it's Pokemon, but a Detective Pokemon series. 
I know that there's the movie already, but a proper series with Detective Pokemon or Detective Pikachu. Pikachu. Yeah. yeah. Sorry, I was I, I was seeing Pokemon further down. Detective Pokemans. Or how about you know a, a rival Pokemon? <laughs> you know, Detective Eevee, right? <laughs> yeah. I'm also looking at their game series right now. Let's see. Oh, uh, Luigi's Mansion would be an interesting, like, uh, uh, Ghostbusters-esque uh, comedy horror, right? Yeah. Right, that could actually work as a movie. I think that would work as a movie. Well, we're just throwing out the ideas for Nintendo, aren't we? Yep. So listen to us, Nintendo. Make cool stuff that we said. And, and start And stop fucking up online. I realize you have to Nintendo some things, but still. Yeah, don't Nintendo that. Make a weird controller that vaguely resembles like a penis. Like, do that. Make that your Nintendo thing. Yeah, but the problem is you would not be only playing with a controller. Jared, the, the console's even, not even on. I don't care. <laughs> uh, Pilot Wings could be an interesting uh, TV series as well. Uh, it's fleshing out the world a bit. Mm-hmm. I'm just kind of going through the list. Or Splatoon. An action uh, uh, comedy, almost. Yeah, that would be interesting. Could go for some Splatoon. Gesundheit. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, there's uh, Nintendo is one of those companies that uh, you think Mario and maybe Zelda and a couple others, but then you start really looking at what they hold. Like Kid Icarus, Golden Sun, Fire Emblem, Excite Bike, Donkey Kong, uh, Pinkman... Star Fox, Platoon. I mean, there's a lot of places that they go could go for not just movies, but full-on TV series or net series, I guess I should say. Because honestly, I don't see them doing traditional TV. I would see them doing, uh, putting it on like their own streaming service or putting it on like Netflix or something, you know? Mm-hmm. But, but that's just me, you know? Uh, that's the thing. I'm, I'm not sure that... Uh, Nintendo, uh, Nintendo style would really work with the more limited format of television. And yes, I realize we could also be talking about Japanese television, which is a very different beast as well, because, you know, American television, it, well, not only sucks, but also is revolves so much around the ad space that that's what almost 10 minutes of ads now per half hour. Yeah, you get 20 or 21 minutes of a show. F- and then uh, nine or ten minutes of ads. And it's gotten so bad that they actually have to go in and speed up or cut down old shows to fit in the proper ad slots anymore. Uh, what was it, Seinfeld, that they increased the speed of, uh, uh, on TBS by like 7% or 8%? It's Seinfeld or Friends, or it could be both. I think it was Seinfeld that they actually had to speed up Seinfeld in order to work out uh, enough ad space and then it made everybody sound a little chipmunky because they didn't go in and tone shift everybody's voices back down. Yeah. So I, I really see Nintendo, if they do a television series, it not being on TV because they say TV style projects, not television. That's kind of a distinction in my mind that says we're talking online stuff and not proper television series. Yeah. Although I think that, I mean, the 
I, you know, I know people still watch TV, but I think that, uh, you know, internet series is where it's at mm-hmm. and where it's going to be like sort of traditional TV is going to die. And a lot of its traits will carry over to, you know, internet content and Netflix, Hulu, etc. But I do, I hate like with like uh, season two of the boys, like I hate that they're doing it more like a traditional TV series. I just want to fucking binge the entire show in one go. Yeah, there's a few things like uh, going back to my you know, love of cooking. Uh, Netflix is doing that with the Great British Bake Off, but that's also because they're releasing it, I think, a week after or the week of it actually broadcasting in the UK. So that makes a little bit more sense. It's still a television series, but because it's British TV, it's not built around ads as much. Yeah. Because I'm pretty sure it's on BBC. I could be mistaken on that one, but yeah, it's uh, uh, there's some shows I watch that does that, but honestly, Anita and I just uh, really binge things anymore. Like we went through all of Community in about a month, six seasons worth, and definitely uh, uh, saw the impact of it going to. Uh, actually, the last season uh, uh, looked into it a little bit because there was a significant downgrade going from one season to another. And at one point they went to Yahoo's old uh, streaming service, you know, long before the age of Netflix. And, you know, it definitely showed that, you know, they were no longer on network television. Yeah. It was still a good show, but, you know, but this was not the age of Netflix. So, you know, it was kind of this odd thing, but overall, you know, I, I do think we're going to uh, see, not really the death of traditional television, but it being less influential on how entertainment's put out. So Nintendo saying TV style, I think it says that they're more forward thinking than what we may be giving them credit for by saying, oh, well, this will make a great TV series. Well, well we're also old, you and I. Uh, yeah, and, uh, yeah, and people should get off my, uh, my fucking lawn. Yep. And I think that, you know, we're we mean we're you know internet content or internet series or streaming style you know whatever like i think i think that's what we mean but we're old so we're saying you know tv tv series or tv show Mm -hmm. so yeah um, or or long form series you know yeah but somewhere in the ballpark of 10 to uh, probably 20 episodes a season even though i would imagine nintendo would probably be more the Japanese format, which would be, I'm going to go just based off my knowledge of anime, probably thirteen, uh, uh, 10 to 13 episodes a season, you know, shorter seasons. I'm not sure if that's the way for live action. I don't see Nintendo doing live action stuff, or much of it. What about you? Yeah, I don't either, at least at first. But... Uh, doing live action... For a video game uh, series, feels a little hokey. You know, seeing Link running around in uh, green tights, well, outside of you, I don't think anybody would be particularly interested in it. It, it, it. I keep thinking about the live action remakes of anime when it comes to that. I mean, and, there, I and there are ways to do it right, though. There's ways to do it right, but it's a lot more expensive. Because that's the thing, is that uh, Nintendo games are usually 
very grand in their setting. You know, Mario is in this fantasy world. Uh, Link is going through this expansive world, depending on the the game. Might be water world, might not be. But there's a lot of set dressing that would have to be done. Unless we go like full Mandalorian, where it's all on this like virtual set, it's very hard to do live action. And the Mandalorian tech just is not there yet for anyone but like Disney to throw money at. And for those who don't know, Mandalorian, the Disney Star Wars uh, Baby Yoda you know, series. I think that's for a call, right? Yeah, sure. Uh, it's on this virtual set where uh, it's surrounded by essentially uh, jumbotrons. And they're able to project in uh, real time the 3D landscape into the background. So it's essentially a live mat or a a moving mat drawing and allows a lot grander scope of their sets than they would otherwise have to do and eliminates a lot of green screen work. It's actually quite fascinating, but also very expensive to set up. Yeah. Also the best Star Wars that exists, the Mandalorian. Well, that's kind of a, uh, you know, a low bar these days. Yeah, but even compared to older stuff, it's the best Star Wars to exist. I'll fight anyone who disagrees with me. I actually haven't watched the Mandalorian outside of little clips here and there. It's kind of uh, you know, behind a paywall that I don't want to buy into. and Yeah. Uh, the fact that uh, I, I don't want to really support Disney on some of this because they put Mulan behind the $30 paywall on top of the paywall. Yeah. And, and failed to mention that on all their adverts it just seems really scummy to me. Never mind that the fact that the new Milan uh, uh, is seem oh based on all the reviews I've seen so dry that you could use it as kindling for fire or for uh, a campfire. Basically, they took all the the joy out of it, and while they made it a lot closer to the uh, original source material, it's not exactly what people would be thinking of whenever they hear a remake of Mulan. Yeah. Um. Haven't seen it. Probably won't. I don't. I think our subscription for Disney Plus, because we were getting it for free or like as an add on or something with our Verizon contract when we made a change. Um, I think that that's ran out and we haven't paid for it. But regardless. Um, yeah, uh, we have Netflix through Anita's sister. Anita has Hulu. And I have Amazon Prime. So we're actually pretty well to do with entertainment already. So that was our last news topic, right? Uh, Oh, no, the Oculus Rift. Oculus Rift. Oh, yeah. uh, Jim's topic. Uh, Jim didn't send it in, but we imagined he would want to talk about it. So the Oculus Rift has been discontinued in favor of the Oculus Quest 2. And I'm torn on this one because... The Oculus Quest, it's the self-contained uh, unit. And I think it's a better way to go in the long run. But I think that uh, the technology might not just be there yet. I'm not actually sure what the battery life is on the Oculus Quest. I can't imagine. It's very good. Uh, Two and a half hours. 
and there's 64 or uh, 128 gig versions. So not terrible, but also not very good, especially considering some of the more experienced game or there's the short experience uh, titles, but then you have stuff like Half-Life Alex, which is a hell of a lot longer than, than three hours. You have, oh, sorry, go ahead. I think that they're doing this because they see out there in the market the Vive and a lot of other PC-dedicated VR headsets coming out of the market because Microsoft has got one and there's some third-party developers that have one as well. And I think they're saying, well, let's go the accessibility route and we'll focus our efforts in on this self-contained, relatively inexpensive unit for, you know, VR because that's still pretty, you know, two or you know, three hundred yeah. dollars. So still, yeah, the uh, the Quest Two, according to this, is two ninety nine. Yeah, uh, but that's also the low end model. I think there's going to be a secondary model that's going to be yeah two ninety nine for the sixty four gig version, which honestly is not a lot these days. Uh, for three ninety nine, it's two hundred fifty six gigs, which still is not a ton, but yeah, right. Yeah, I do think that it is probably uh, uh, the way to go for a more accessible uh, uh, way to get VR because VR is still well, one, uh, you need a fairly decent system to run it. Two, you have to deal with cables. There's outside of self contained units like the Quest, there's no wireless headsets that I know of, and I'm not counting the yeah, self contained units like this because. I'm talking about using a PC to power the uh, VR experience. I don't, I'm going to disagree with you on your first point. If you're in a relatively modern setup, VR is pretty accessible from a technical standpoint now. Like, my, I, I know that, you know, like we were talking a lot about PC stuff earlier. Yeah. My rig could run VR no problem as long as you're not trying to do something like crazy high end. Um, and, you know, performance wise, my machine is mostly from like 2015, you know, give or take some stuff here or there. Yeah. But getting into the new, um, the new RTX lineup and even like the RTX, you know, getting into the 2060, 2070, 2080 market, you know, picking up one of those used once every, the market settles for two, 300 bucks could make, yes, it is. It, I'm not saying it's like, cheap but it no longer you i don't think that you know the idea of needing like a 2500 dollars gaming rig to run vr okay i'll concede that point because i'm looking at uh builds uh looks like uh 500 is about which is what i would expect for a decent rig Uh, a good entry point for VR now. So the last time I priced it, it was still very expensive. So it has come down a lot more than I expected. I will concede that one, okay? Yeah. I will say that cabling is a huge problem for VR to the point that uh, uh, maybe these self-contained units are the way to uh, bring more people in because uh, VR headset can be quite crazy with the amount of cables you need for it. Yeah, my biggest issue with doing VR at this point is I don't know how I'm going to set it up properly because of cabling and because of space issues. 
But, you know, a self-contained headset is pretty, or a self-contained unit is relatively appealing to me because I don't want VR for crazy, you know, high-fidelity gaming experiences. I want the more interesting, unique things that VR has to offer at this point. And, you know, two or three or $400 is doable for me. Like, that feels, like, you know, achievable. Like, it doesn't feel outrageous. So. I'm just I'm looking up something. It, it does look like there are third-party battery packs as, available as well that uh, bounce essentially on the back of it of the headset for the Oculus Quest that essentially adds a secondary battery backup, which is interesting. So that does not counteract my uh, uh, issue with the uh, battery life. Although I do wonder just how. Uh, uh, how well it is, how 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 easy it is to replace the batteries in these things because that is an issue with rechargeable batteries is that eventually they do die. Yeah, and consumable uh, consumer level replaceable batteries have kind of gone by the wayside. So easy replaceable batteries, huh? It, I said at least easily replaceable batteries. Yeah, yeah like uh, uh, it's. Doable to replace the batteries in like my DS or my controller. Uh, if I want to replace the battery in my phone, which I'm still in the process of babying, mostly because I'm still paying off the fucking thing, it requires a razor blade to start cutting into glue and, and prying the thing open. And yeah, so just how easy is it to replace the battery? Let's see. Actually, it looks like at least for the Oculus, the Quest One, it's uh, fairly decent to replace the battery, and they say that the batteries have a fairly long shelf life. So that is uh, nice to see. I'm, I'm just uh, trying to scroll through to see just how hard it is to replace the damn battery in this. <laughs> uh, looks like a lot of it is also. A lot of these are showing. Da-da-da. Well, there's a teardown. Uh, uh, gallery that shows uh, the battery. So, does it use USB C connector? Uh, yeah, yeah, it has a USB C connector. Yeah. Okay, okay. It looks like it's not too hard to replace the battery. Uh, removing the top panel, there's one screw, and the battery container can be lifted up. Uh, looks like it, there is a little bit of fuckery to uh, unlock uh, or to replace the battery, but it's not that bad i think if somebody's doing vr they're probably uh, tech savvy enough to watch a few videos and be able to replace this at least from this one teardown i could see of the quest one it doesn't look too terrible let's just put it this way uh you are having to pull off uh the uh the sheath which is a little concerning so hmm, all right yeah, yeah. you have to pull off some uh, fabric as well, so you may have to get a replacement for that, assuming that they do sell replacements. That is interesting. It looks like the battery isn't that hard to replace. It's just under some cloth and uh, and a couple screws. A little, Still a little concerning, right? Yeah, but I don't know. I might look into getting one. Yeah, it's it's interesting. That's the thing. I mean, it does suck if you are more invested in uh, uh, the Oculus uh, Rift where 
you know, it's the more high end gaming uh, uh, builds. And this also will make it very, this is going to make it interesting to see just how Oculus does their software, because that's the thing is that if they're going the Oculus Quest as their uh, main mode, it locks into almost a console-esque uh, uh, hardware limitation. So are we going to see it where you know, you're not going to see these super high-fidelity games anymore uh, focused on, and focus more on a more general development? You know, sort of how uh, consoles, you do have your higher-fidelity games, but they suffer because of the hardware. So there's kind of this bell cur- or inverse bell curve where the majority of them are in this kind of uh, uh, this low land of what the software or what the hardware offers. You don't really see a lot of games try to really push it, uh, push the hardware outside of you know, first party stuff because they don't know all the ins and outs of the hardware, you know, getting all that, uh, all the performance out of the limited hardware. Right. Yeah. I'm just wondering what it's going to do software wise. And that's kind of, uh, uh, my catch-all on this one. I'm torn between what I want. The quest is very convenient, but I do like the idea of having a dedicated setup because there are a couple of things that I would want to play, like Elite Dangerous in VR mm-hmm. that I don't that the quest couldn't do. I don't think. Yeah, and the other thing is, uh, what does this do for software? Because uh, with the Oculus Rift, I have a few VR games already or have games that has VR support. So would I have to rebound with the Oculus Quest or am I able to port them over? I actually don't know the answer to that. Yeah, good question. I don't either. So if it lo- locks you into the, uh, their storefront, then yeah, you're at the mercy of Facebook. Good luck. Yeah. <laughs> And they've already said that they uh, require will require or or if they don't already, can't remember when the cutoff was for that. Um, uh, Facebook logins to use the uh, Oculus Rift. So I'm assuming the Quest will follow the same suit. VR, I'll VR get there eventually. Yeah, VR is getting into an interesting spot, and it's getting more affordable to get into it. I'm still a little hesitant about it just because I'm not sure if it would just give me a headache like uh, the 3DS uh, did, I guess I should say. You know, use the proper tense. And there's not really a good place around here to try it out anymore because the mall has kind of died and that's where the 3D experience was. I'm actually not sure where I would go uh, if I wanted to have some sort of 3D experience because, like I said, the the mall's dead. It's lost its last uh, anchor store. Yeah. The, 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 the local library is kind of prepping it up now. There's no VR experience place. Well, I guess there's one in Chattanooga. Not too far away. But I'm not going there if they're still open. Not right now, anyways. Yeah, that'd be a hell way to die. Let's just put it this way. Uh, according to this, I would have to go quite the fucking far away almost out of state to go to a vr zone assuming that that place even offers it it's a barcade over in huntington which that's one way to have arcades alive huh yeah so i don't know i don't know if i'm if i'm gonna get an oculus quest or if i'm just gonna keep waiting to get a regular 
quote unquote regular VR setup. That's a question for probably next year. Who knows? Yeah. Uh, let's just put it this way. A lot of the uh, VR ca- uh, cafes or VR zones are also showing temporary clothes because, you know, COVID. Yeah. I'd have to pretty much go to Washington, D.C. if it, if that barcade doesn't have it. Hear that or Columbus. Or should I say Flavortown? Flavortown. <laughs> Unfortunately, I have to get frosted tips if I go there, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Um, all right. That does it for our news topics for this week. Uh, Want to do... Well, we didn't have any, any community uh, corner. Oh, uh, well, we uh, did have the... Uh, the Microsoft file from the discord. So there was that. And we do thank cube for originally uh, posting that, but also having, you know, back and forth with several community members joking about it. Very true. Very true. You know, uh, talking about Todd Howard's new office, you chimed in saying, well, only the green one is included in the base relocation package. He needs to pay for the ultimate relocation package to get the larger green one. The white skin one, uh, is simply a cosmetic option that he would need to pay for as well. It won't actually affect his uh, stats or size of his new office, though. (laughs) Yep. I was really proud of that. I was so pleased with myself. As you should be. I was pleased for you, too. Oh, thanks. So, do you want to do a quick cue, or are you ready? Well, well, if you were to to send us content, you do say VGL podcast at gmail.com or tweet it to us, VGL podcast, or just drop by our uh, Discord, which is on the Podbean account, which we'll get to uh, VGL podcast.podbean.com. Uh, yeah, we could do a quick discovery queue. Okay. Uh, we would have to wipe the old discovery queue, though. Uh, did I forget to clear that? Okay. Discovery queue. Uh, I'll clear mine. Okay. Because, of course, I had Discovery Q sitting there already with Medieval Dynasty. Uh, a base builder? Hunt, survive, uh, build, and lead in the harsh Middle Ages. Create your own Medieval Dynasty and ensure the long lasting, uh, its long-lasting prosperity or die trying. There's quite a few Dynasty uh, games from this developer, and that gives me pause. Because whenever you see the same thing pop up over and over again with just different reskins, it's a little bit of a, you know, right? Yeah, it looks interesting, though. It's actually the first one in my queue as well. Yeah, uh, I guess uh, Steam is pushing it hard. But they don't really show a lot of gameplay. It's a lot of stills. Yeah, and the trailers don't really show anything useful either. Yeah, so uh, it's interesting. It, it reminds me a little bit of the open world uh, survival games, though, as well, uh, with maybe some uh, town building in it as well. Yeah. But yeah, interesting. So I got an interesting one Wingspan. Uh, some type of turn based board game strategy game type thing about birds. Um, it's a multiplayer game. Well, you can play it single player, but you can play with up to five players. And you're trying to create basically the longest, most unique chain of birds out of all the players. And it, you get like bonuses. And this is just neat. I haven't seen anything quite like this using some type of like deck builder board game thing. Um, and then the birds are nice. 
the artwork is really relaxing looking. I like this. It's not uh, it's 15 bucks, 16 bucks. It's on sale right now. Looks like it just released uh, last week. So it's like in a launch sale window. This is really cute. Well, on the complete opposite end of the spectrum, this is very interesting looking. Phasmophobia. This is a four-player online co-op psychological horror game where you're gathering evidence for ghosts. So you're ghost hunters. It has a standard and a VR mode. It's in early access and it's four-player co-op, which is interesting. It doesn't say that it's head-to-head, so I'm imagining sort of the like this the co-op version of like uh, Left for Dead. Mm-hmm. But there's crucifixes, you're going to creepy old places, and you're basically ghost hunters. It's an interesting concept. Uh, full voice recognition, the ghosts are listening, and use your actual voice to interact with the ghost through the Ouija boards and uh, uh, EMV uh, sessions using a spirit box. So definitely ghost hunters, huh? <laughs> yep, uh, sounds terrible. Not for me. Could be a great it, game. It, it sounds interesting. And it looks like it could be single player as well, uh, with 10 different types of ghosts, all with unique traits, meaning each investigation will be different. And it's also still in early access. Uh, they plan on adding a lot more to this as well. So so that's interesting. It's fairly cheap. So anyway. You're, you're, yeah. Uh, Serious Sam 4. I mean, I don't know what to say. It's a, a new Serious Sam game that's supposed to release tomorrow, at least on recording date, uh, mm-hmm. September 24th. I mean, if, you, if you've played Serious Sam and know what it is, then you'll know if you want this or not. If you've never played Serious Sam before, uh, I don't know if this would be the one to play because, like, right up, pre-order bonus, weapon skins... Uh, right not happy about that i mean serious sam is a really fast-paced kind of cartoonish first-person shooter um and it says it's a prequel to the original serious sam games so i don't know it might be good play older serious sam games instead they are good so i got uh the dungeon of nickelback huh uh, the Dungeon of Necrobeak, uh, the Ambulant of Chaos. No. Well, yeah. <laughs> the Dungeon of Nickelback. Nahulbeak. I don't know. <laughs> if right not. Uh, yeah. So this is a tactical RPG. Think XCOM with a little bit more of an RPG flair to it as well. Uh, just based off some of the reviews and the... Uh, uh, the trailer. It looks very good. Not early access. Uh, s- strong double A territory on its price. And like I said, it's a fantasy. Well, it's a fantasy tactical RPG. So think sort of Final Fantasy Tactics with some RP uh, with some XCOM heartbreak in it as well. Looks like you go up against just massive hordes of enemies as well. So that looks very interesting. That that looks very good. Uh, what is the developer for this one? Um, actually, uh, oh, I hope better than this. Uh, they also uh, developed Garfield Kart, <laughs> but then again, everybody you know has to you know eat right. So yeah, 
and usually those licensed games are uh, you know an easy paycheck so anyway you're up yeah i got um, a game called empire of sin it's a oh, uh, I, yeah that's a paradox game yeah it's a upcoming paradox game mafia type thing um looks like it's combining elements of turn-based strategy with management sims and then it says rpg so i don't know yeah it has yeah it has some XCOM shit in it as well uh i am very into this immediately it makes me think of a a game that came out like something like seven or eight years ago uh, city of uh, gangsters yeah yeah, I was uh, I was trying to think of the name of it. Uh, yeah, it reminded me that of that a lot as well. I wonder if this is going to go on Game Pass since Paradox has been putting games on there as well. I hope so. I wonder if this is the game as well that the Battletech team went to work on a couple of years ago when, uh, or last year when they've wrapped up the the last of the DLC. Or because they said that they were moving over. I remember when that happened. They said they were moving over to another game that was in production um, because they were doing the uh like the combat system for it the turn-based combat and this is the first thing i think that paradox has done since then that fits that you know turn-based rpg style thing that mm-hmm. would be exciting yeah and this is also heavily advertised on the uh, opening screen of uh, uh crusader kings 3 which is always a bit annoying to me but eh. yeah but I mean that that would give me some confidence in the combat system being good. Uh, I'm very much in this. I'm gonna add this yeah. to my wish list. Bump yeah, it's it. gonna be interesting to see if uh, that goes to Game Pass. If it does, then I know what we're playing. Yeah. But if it's if it's on Game Pass for December, I, I have a feeling that'll be like the January Game Club. Yeah. Too bad there's it's, it says it's single player only. So too bad there's no co-op. Element. Yeah. So. I got Rebel Galaxy Outlaw. So, hey, look who got uh, finally escaped uh, the Epic Game Store. And, you know, not even doing a uh, release uh, sale. Just, eh, fuck it, right? Yeah. So, a lot of negative, vote, or negative uh, reviews talking about how it just doesn't live up to Rebel Galaxy, which you were so heartbroken about Rebel Galaxy. So, the fact that it's worse than that, right? Yeah, I gotta say that graphically it doesn't look bad, but it also there's just something about it that I can't quite put my finger on. It just it looks off. Maybe it's just everything looks too washed out uh, to me, you know? Yeah, I know that they really, uh, or at least as uh, far as I remember, they really pushed ship customization, but they were going for fi- more fighters than capital ships which was what the focus of the first Rebel Galaxy was. So the fact that they're kind of limiting their scope is a bit, yeah. Eh. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, I still haven't gotten a game because I got, I got a couple of porn games. Oh, well. I got Rebel Galaxy Outlaw and also, and then I got another game that you had talked about already. Oh, I got 8-bit porn game. Damn. Mm. And... The pixelated pits are exposed for our pleasure. And tentacles. Oh, there's Wingspan that you already talked about. Uh, what is this? Well, this doesn't look like my speed, but it does look interesting. It's called When the Past Was Around. Link incoming. Um, this is a point-and-click uh, puzzle game? I don't know. It says Hidden Object is one of its things, one of its tags. 
Maybe this is up to my speed. It's like a surreal, experiential type game. I don't know. It's very hard to describe this. I'm I'm warming up to it the more I talk about how much I can't talk about it. But it looks cute. I like things that are cute. It's seven dollars right now. Well, I got something that looks really interesting, and <clears throat> I'm gonna drop a link in the song. Oh, sorry, Songs of Six. It looks very dwarfy, dwarf fortress like. <clears throat> a fantasy city builder where you start off as an insignificant colony and build and scheme and fight your way towards a metropolis and empire. The mechanics are complex and true to life, where small events can spiral into collapse of kingdoms. I mean, this looks pretty impressive from uh, at least the onset. It. <sighs> is still an early access and it is pretty expensive for an early access but it's also a one-man studio uh been in development according to this for six years and will require, require many more selling of early access is encouraging and allows for more time and resources to be developed uh, to be spent on development uh plans for four years of early access so at least they're being honest right yeah full version will be well, I have mining tools, single player campaign, uh, more balanced gameplay. I mean, the fact that they're saying four years of early access, though, I mean, that tells me that they're planning for the long haul. Base building on a huge scale, grand strategy, massive tactical battles, nobility and slaves, <laughs> right? Well, that's interesting. And looking at some of the gifts of uh, just the town being built up looks really impressive it looks like essentially dwarf fortress with a graphical layer on it which is what i really want but dwarf fortress is also doing that so right yeah but definitely worth the checkout especially if you enjoy more stupidly complex uh city builders speaking of city builders right yeah well sort of uh i got port royale 4 um, I love the Port Royale series. Uh, I've played, I've never played the original, but I've played two and three to death. Um, I haven't played them very much on Steam, but I owned both of them on, you know, PC, CD, or DVD, or whatever, uh, like 10 and 15 years ago, respectively. Um, and Port Royale 3 also had an Xbox 360 port, which I owned, and that port was garbage, but the series is great. Uh, doing uh trading and some pirating in that sort of romanticized era of like 16th 17th and 18th century uh in the americas um it's lovely uh you've always been able to own your own ports and islands as you build up far enough and your own merchant fleet and um you know combat vessels sloops and frigates and you could always turn to, to piracy. Um, it looks like there's for this one, they're showing off some stuff about like some type of character creation, perhaps some light RPG elements. Hard to say based on the images and the brief description. But I mean, as long as it's, I, I'm always worried now because I'm a fucking cynical old bastard, but You're I'm welcome. Always, I'm always worried about it turning into like some type of microtransaction, horrible fest. See, but, uh, Tropico? Yeah. Yeah, but, um, fingers crossed that it's just 
you know, a new version of Port Royale. And you know what I'm going to do after we're done tonight? Install fucking Port Royale 3 and play some of that this week. It's going to be great. Well, I got an interesting draw. I had to skip a couple because just... mm, I got Pendragon, a narrative strategy game from the developers... Or sorry, from the creators of 80 Days. That's enough to sell me right there. 80 Days was a really interesting game. And this looks like it's taking that and adding to it quite a bit. So they're using the Arthurian legend. Uh, Camelot has fallen. The round table must rally to save King Arthur. A narrative strategy game. I mean, uh, if you've played 80 Days, I think you know what to expect from this. But it looks like it's a little bit more gameplay-centric as well, where there's some uh, uh, turn-based battles with uh, uh, simple but deeply strategic combat, according to the store page. So, yeah, that is really interesting. Essentially 80 days plus uh, more gameplay. Yeah, it looks at this. Put that on my wish list. Um, have you, did you talk about Nexomon last week? Uh, don't, uh, what was it? You kind of broke up. Nexomon? I don't recall it, but then again... Mm-hmm. It's an, another one is recent run of Pokemon-esque games. I may have. This looks very familiar. I think I did, but go for it. I mean, it's, uh, you know, it's what I just said. It's a monster capture and battle game. Uh, looks cute. If you like this type of stuff, um, yeah, it's 20 bucks. I don't know. You probably already don't like this or not. Yeah, if you like the Pokemans, right? Yep, you like hidden Pokemans? This one is is probably for you. Okay, so I've got something odd. Uh, well, uh, unless you already know the first game in the series. Soldat 2. A 2D platformer uh, team deathmatch. So this is a two and a half D now. So they're doing full or proper 3D models. But yeah, cla- uh, the classic Soldat is actually free on Steam. I had to actually go check to see if it was on here. But yeah, I mean, essentially simple team deathmatch. What's really going to uh, make or break it is if it uh, gets uh, proper you know, uh, community behind it. Because right, yeah. Uh, the first sold out was from uh, 2000 or early 2000. So the fact that it's taken this long to make a proper sequel, but it's also the original is uh, free on Steam. This is 15 bucks. That's a little bit expensive, even though it is in early access as well. Uh, randomly generated levels with two game modes uh, is the current state. Uh, the price will increase. Oh. I don't have a good feeling about this. Just Team Deathmatch is kind of a hard thing to sell these days. Uh, uh, and on top of that, early access, no community right now from the looks of it. And it's only going to get worse if yep. the price increases. I think they're trying to bank on their nostalgia quite a bit here. I'm not sure if it works. So uh, are you are you done? I got two more. I'm looking at this one. Okay, well, the, okay, so this is the last one on my list. On my queue. Uh, group VR. Uh, fucking real-time strategy space game where you're captaining for the bridge of your flagship with your VR headset, pulling up your map, 
issuing orders, doing like custom modification between missions. Like, all right, I'm buying this quest. I'm buying a little ass. All right, I'm gonna buy this game, and I'm gonna alternate to being a, a real ass train conductor in Zero Valley and being a sci-fi captain in bathroom VR. Or you could be the AI with this uh, robotic voice you got going on. Yay. Because, of course, yeah, now your internet has to start dying, right? Indeed. Something started downloading, so that's probably what did it. Oh, there you go. You're a lot better now. Yep. You just don't have the bandwidth for a download. I guess not. Not to download and podcast at the same time. Yeah. Uh, what's interesting is... Uh, it. it uh, this has a very bridge crease uh, vibe to it, doesn't it? What battle group VR? Uh, yeah, I'm just looking at it. Yeah, I'm into it. I'm hardcore into yeah, it. Yeah, it's kind of a shame that it, it seems like everybody's forgotten about bridge crew at this point. I mean, to be fair, it's also expensive to get into because you need multiple copies of it, and it's twenty five bucks, right? Yeah, I think Bridge Crew also, like, this seems like a, a much broader experience. Yeah, Bridge Crew was really limited to just a handful of uh, experiences, really. And once you got past that, there was some random generation, but there wasn't a ton there. It was selling a lot on its name, but that was about it. Yeah. But then again, yeah, we are talking somewhat early days of VR as well, because Bridge Crew is actually quite old these days, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. Five or six years old? Uh, Three, actually. Okay, three. So not as old as I thought, but years old. But yeah, that was the last game in my queue. So Okay, well, I got... Uh, well, I'm not sure how to pronounce this. Is it Atomic Crops or Atomic Rops? Because there's only one C there. Atomic Crops? Yeah, but but there's only one C, so it's not Atomic Crops. Well, yeah. It's atomic atomic crops. crops. Okay, so Atomic Crops, it's an action-packed roguelite where you must cultivate and defend the last farm in the post-apocalypse wasteland. So, essentially, uh, roguelite meets uh, uh, tower defense meets farming simulator. Weird, right? Yeah. With some sort of uh, uh, proper uh, town management and relationship management as well because it also shows getting married and uh, I mean just this is weird in a good way so moving on I'm not convinced that's not a porn game and my last one was when the past was around so that is it that is me done as well so some interesting titles all around right yeah I'm watching the trailer for Atomic Rups. It looks weird, doesn't it? Yes, it does. Gloriously weird. I mean, just the, that animated one as well. It has a very Professor Layton vibe to it, just the way that they draw the uh, the people. Professor Layton meets, like, uh, Adventure Time. Yeah, very Adventure Time vibes. Like, there's a nuke that blows up in the trailer, and there's, like, a whole thing where, like, a dude's face peels off. Yeah, it looks like you looked in the Ark of the Covenant. Yeah. It looks like when you get married, your spouse helps you defend your farm. That's cool. That's a nice change of pace, huh? Oh, my God. Instead of her just sitting there and popping out babies. Yes. So they're, they're they're like subtitle heading at the end of the trailer. Atomic Rops, FMK, farm, marry, kill. (laughs) 
I'm I'm I want this. I need this in my life. Well, it is a proper release. It's not an early access game for once. Yay. Normally I wouldn't go for this sort of thing, but sort of their uh attitude, I guess, or comic the way that they're presenting this makes me want to buy it. So good for them. But yeah. All right. So that was your cue. Yeah, that was my cue done. And it looks like uh, it has pr- proper boss battles too. One of them, you're fighting the sun. <laughs> nice. Fuck you, sun. Well, well, we want the sun to come back right now because it's getting fucking cold. I, I like the cold. I took my trash out this morning and I was like, ooh, I could use a little jacket right now. So good. So nice. But anyways, hey, Rage, hit him with them socials. Well, I've been Caffeine Rage. You can find me on Twitter, GameOSCR, where I'm bragging about getting my ballot and voting some fuckers out of office. Yeah. Or at least trying. Fuckers. Or you can uh, be my friend on Steam, Caffeine Rage. And you've been? Gaming Psychologist. You can find me on the YouTubes by searching for Gaming Psychologist on Twitter at JMA4707. Where I am also going to be voting fuckers out of office. I got my ballot. It's sitting here on my desk. Um, um, I'm sitting in the hallway uh, on the uh, shelf with Adidas. We're going to probably fill that out this weekend. Yeah. What did they have the I voted sticker in it? I don't know. I hope so. Uh, yeah, I've never actually gotten the damn sticker. I, I feel sad. sad. It feels like I never really voted. Oh, <laughs> I did. Uh, I, I did. Uh, I did get a uh, pin to put on my hat, though. It's of a plague doctor and says, wash your damn hands. Nice. I approve. Also, I approve of people sending me friend requests on Steam at uh, jarthur4707. And if you want to let them know exactly what episode of the podcast you're coming from, the password for this week is, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I was going, oh, yeah, as in Kool-Aid and not Macho Man. (laughs) (laughs) Fair play. That was my well to be fair oh yeah could uh, be either macho man or kool-aid man depending on how old you are or porn do i even want to know i don't know do you uh oh no you're into some weird shit the internet is for porn porn i'm gonna regret uh, introducing you to avenue q aren't i so grab your dick and double click the internet is for porn anyways carry on but you're not supposed to double click on links anyway I, that's how the song goes. Take it up with them. Well, I will. I'll write a very nasty email to the, to a random monster, but he'll just watch porn and not and not read it. A stra- a strongly worded tweet. <laughs> uh, but anyway, uh, once again, you could uh, contact us and uh, can contact us, and we will stop watching porn and read your email. Beachyall Podcast at gmail.com with your letters for smells game related topics or tweet them to us VGL podcast on well said Twitter. Our lovely, lovely patrons have made this madness possible. You can find out more at patreon.com slash VGL podcast. And they are also helping us with the Podbean, the VGL podcast.podbean.com with links to all our stuff. Or if you wish to share the love, you could uh, find us on your podcatcher of choice, which ooh, we may need to look at, uh, Amazon Music, they put podcasts on recently. Not sure if uh, we have to do anything for that one. Yeah, I saw that, but I haven't looked into it yet. So, but yeah, we, we'll do that. Anyway, our intro and outro music is on the ground by Kim McLeod and Doobly Doo by the same artist as our Discovery Key music. 
You find all his work over at, at, at incompetech.com. And as always, as his lovely music starts to roll across my voice. Bye-bye now. See you next time. Bye-bye.